are listening to the Quarter to Three Games podcast for uh, mid-June 2013. My name is Tom Chick. My game of the week is not Battle for Middle-Earth 2. This is Nick Diamond, and my game of the week is not Dungeons of Dreadmore. Uh, this is Vic Davis, and my game of the week is not Injustice. Oh come on! Why do you hate, why do you hate DC Comics characters? Have you played Injustice, Vic? No, I've watched my son play it, and I cannot stand button smashers. <laughs> hey, you know what, Vic Davis? Maybe if you weren't busy making highfalutin strategy games, you could take some time out of your schedule to learn a few combos for one character, and then you might appreciate Injustice. Tom, uh, get off my get off my lawn. <laughs> I'm, I'm probably older than you, and I have to say, <laughs> Injustice is is a very popular fixture over at the Chick household. Uh, I'm quite fond of that game, but I can imagine you, both of you actually, Nick and Vic, you have 15 year old sons. You probably look at them play stuff and just kind of go, kids, right? My thumbs hurt just watching. Maybe you need to buy those kids, Vic, a uh, a nice $150 fight stick. <laughs> oh God! I will say, he's blown enough money on dressing them up in costumes. I, I I've been trying to put a stop to that. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's very, they're, that's a very important part of you know the different figures. Uh, and you want to, and there's also a game tax there. You can unlock a lot of those costumes. You don't necessarily have to spend money, but but certainly uh, Warner Brothers Interactive is more than happy to take your money for that. Uh, so, have you even tried Vic to sit down with him and play the game? Like, has he? Have you done like yeah. a mercy? Yeah, son, I'll try this with you. I guess it's like an arena or something. And uh, I, uh, he was dressed up as Superman, the the red communist Superman, and I, all I saw was what the peasants saw. I was down and out before I could even hit a button. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Superman's kind of powerful. Uh, who did you end up choosing, Vic? Oh, it was Electra, I think, or some. Wow, that's awesome that they got that in there. That's uh, quite a quite a licensing coup. Some it was. Oh no, it was. Who's the Wonder Woman? That's what it was. Oh my God, Vic, confusing Electra and Wonder Woman. Now you get off my lawn. How about that? (laughs) To be fair, though, neither of them has uh, been featured in a movie worth seeing. Uh, all right, well, uh, Vic, I can understand why you, you can't be busy, you can't be bothered to learn some of the move lists for the different characters, um, because you are now in the beta phase for a game. You, your, your latest game is uh, Occult Chronicles. Uh, you've probably got your hands very full with that these days. Nick and I have both been playing uh, the beta build of it. Um, before, we, before we start with you, Vic, because I, I definitely want to talk some about this, uh, Nick... Have you played any of uh, Cryptic Comics games before? Like, do you know Armageddon Empires or Solium Infernum? Or what, what's your background? Six with Gun Saga. Six Gun Saga, is that where you yeah. started? I, I started with Six Gun Saga, then went back to Armageddon Empires and then uh, Solarium Infernum. Uh, Six Gun Saga, I think, has a lot in common with um, Occult Chronicles. Like, I think that's where you see the most creative crossover, uh, I, I guess. Um, so. Uh, before we talk to Vic about it, I would be curious, Nick, what was it like jumping into Occult Chronicles? Because even I, I've got a long history with Vic's games, and it's in beta, of course, but even I had a hard time wrapping my head around some aspects of it. 
Uh, what was it like for you, Nick? Okay, so the first thing I have to get out of the way is uh, even though Vic emailed me and said that I needed to uh, maybe read the instructions, at least the quick <laughs> instructions, uh, I, I decided to do the gamer thing and go, you know what, F this guy, I know what I'm doing, uh, and I just jumped right in. And, uh, yeah, how'd that work out say, for you? Yeah. yeah, no, that didn't work out well at all. <laughs> needless to say, after uh, after you know four or five quick deaths with my agents not even getting off the first floor, uh, I, I went ahead, you know, went back, kind of read what I was doing, went a little slower. Ashamed to say it, turned the difficulty down. Oh, uh, I know, I know. <laughs> uh, but then got into the groove of it, and uh, so far, and again. I know it's in beta, but uh, so far, love it. I love the marriage of story with the roguelike. Hmm. Uh, you uh, know, I, I'm used to roguelikes where yeah, there's no story. You just jump in and you're just, you know, your story is, well, I hope I survive this level so I can get to the big bad at the end. Um, and, and this one, I, I, I really like the story. I like the little quests and the stories that get thrown in there. Um, so it's not just my my own you know emergent gameplay of getting through this. One one of the things that it reminds me of the way that um, Occult Chronicles folds in these story modules and beats kind of, but still has a lot of openness. Uh, and these games aren't much like Occult Chronicles, but just the format. Uh, for a game called State of Decay, which is a zombie apocalypse game, it's open world that I've been playing. Uh, and then there's a State of Decay is more of an action-oriented game. There's a strategy game that I believe was available as like a Flash thing on the PC, but it was ported to the iPhone, to the iOS, uh, a game called Rebuild, which is a strategy game about zombie survival. They both give you this open-world freedom to do stuff, but they fold in little modules, little story beats that you can uncover over time. Uh, and it reminded me a lot about... It reminded me a lot of what you're doing, Vic, with with Occult Chronicles. There's this combination of just wide open strategy game, do whatever you want to do, and every now and then I'm going to fold out, unfold a little uh, story tidbit, kind of. Um, what led you to do that? That combination of here's storytelling, here's emergent stuff. Let's let's mix them together in a bowl. Yeah, well, uh, unraveling the the design process behind that's a little tough because. Um, I had the whole roguelike genre uh, that I was trying to emulate. Uh, I had that all those expectations to deal with. One of the things that, that all the designers always talk about when you read online at different places is, you know, the hunger clock, and that gave me the idea to sort of do that story, that story token track. Uh, so instead of you're running out of food looking for corpses to eat or whatever, you have these different you know, uh, little uh, events that pop up that uh, they're ra they're semi-random. They they have um there's a whole set of particular story um uh, little tidbits uh, bits of information that come out. But then the effects that they can have can be pretty random. They can be positive or negative depending on what your luck is and uh, which is uh, a hidden attribute that you have, and also uh, a random die roll. And so that, as that clock ticks down, if you actually read the different bits for the stories, you'll sort of, you'll 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 be able to piece together what you're going to finally encounter at the end of the game when you hit the final mission uh, area. Now, one of the things that uh, I know you've told me and Nick about, but I don't know about Nick. I certainly haven't gotten far enough to, like I, I haven't, 
don't know if you call it beat the game. I don't have an agent in that top agents list, for instance. I just have at this point a bunch of casualties, um, which I presume <laughs> is, is how it's going to work for a lot of folks for a while. Uh, uh, unfold for us the basic structure. The way you expressed it to me is that you start on the first floor, you go to the second floor, you want to get to the attic. And then, actually I think this is even in the manual, and then there are three sub-basements. I presume on the bottom of, of the sub-basement is the final story mission. Uh, is that correct? Is that sort of the overall structure for every game? Yeah, that's exactly correct. I, you know, when you deal with your normal roguelike, you start at the, t- you, the the dungeon entrance and then you start working your way down level by level. And so I saw, well, let's take a little twist. You know, you're exploring a haunted house. Uh, it, it makes sense. You um, you start in the uh, the main entry foyer, and you can go about the main level. And then the next, you go a step up to the second level. Well, things get uh, a little more dangerous, and then up in the attics where the you know the, some of the crazy stuff is, and that whole process of going from the main floor to the attic, you're building your character up, uh, and this is where I really tried to to play around with the genre. Is once that happens, you'll probably have found a door, or there are other ways to get down to the to the base, the first basement level. I don't want to spoil it, but they usually in, involve a fall that can sort of mess you up a bit, um, and that transition to the first basement level and then down below, the game changes uh, a lot. It goes from being sort of this, like you said, free-form exploration with little store nuggets here and there. You encounter different different uh, you know things that you expect to find in a haunted house, and they can have options that let you do certain things like, you know, decipher a strange text or, you know, uh, uh, you know um, do a lore check to find out something more about it, and it sets you off on a quest. But once you finish that character building part of the upper levels, then the, the the basement becomes I don't want to say a gauntlet, but it's sort of like a gauntlet. I modeled it on the that D and D module Tomb of Horrors, that whole concept. That's of, kind of sadistic. You know, Why would you do <laughs> well, that? Yeah. I I always loved that module. Yeah. I never actually played it. Uh, I, I think there's a lot of people in the same boat where you probably had it in your collection. You read about all the traps and how cool it was. I from what I've you know, read on the internet and discovered, you know, from talking to other people, it it, it can be a very unsatisfying experience um, trying to, to actually get through it. And it's a hard module to run, um, and it's very difficult. So, of course, I picked that for, for my game. But um. <laughs> uh, Tomb of Horrors always struck me as something that uh, was mainly for the DM. The players, that's not for them. It's just a, qu- a, a way for a mean DM to kill his players' characters. Uh, yeah, you yeah, know, but, uh, to- go ahead, I'm sorry. Called Total Party Kill or Total Party Wipe or something like that. TPW, <laughs> I can't remember what the acronym for it is, but. Uh, you know what your overall structure reminds me of, uh, and I'm not saying you, you got it from this, but it, it certainly recalls one of my vivid memories of the original Alone in the Dark, where uh, which was um, uh, Edward Carnby. You know, your investigator starts with the foyer of this, I think, three-story mansion, and he works his way up to the attic, and then once he gets to the attic, he then works his way down to the, the sub-level. Uh, but it has that same geographical journey through and then ultimately below uh, a haunted house. Um, Well, this raises the the question for me, Vic. What then is the role of when I start a game and on the high score list, uh, each adventurer, each character has chosen a specific, I don't know what you call it, uh, mission or game title or campaign name? Mission. 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 What, What does that determine? 
Well, that determines um, uh, as far as the mechanics go. Uh, it doesn't change anything. It all it changes is the uh, flavor of the story track. Um, some of the uh, outcomes that can happen when you get a story token, the, the good ones and the bad ones that modify the mechanics, those can change a little bit. Uh, but most of the flavor of the story that you read. Uh, but the big thing is each mission has anywhere from one to three. I think one even has now the three is the most different tiles that you will encounter somewhere in the dungeon basement level with a unique uh, end boss encounter. And they also have a unique um, wandering. I hate to call them wandering monsters, but you know unique uh, random encounters that you'll get during the game too. Mm-hmm. So now, uh, that that fit with the theme. One of the things I, I definitely noticed early on is that this wasn't just a bunch of random tiles and then it'll put random encounters here. Like, I'm starting to recognize specific rooms. Um, and the artwork on the room definitely has something to do with what you're going to run into there. For instance, early on, I was pleased to come to a hallway and it looked like there were bodies tied up in a sack. And I was like, well, that's a weird random tile. Does it mean anything? Uh, I guess not. As I was walking across it step by step, I was like, okay, I guess it doesn't mean anything. And then you get to the last uh, little space on that tile, and sure enough, it, it concerns the fact that there are bodies in a sack. Like, the, the tile relates to the event there. So it seems like you also have a bunch of story chunks there in terms of specific rooms, specific graphic tile sets, I guess. Yeah, you know, absolutely. I, I have to I tell have, you. Oh, sorry. Uh, uh, yeah, I... I can't tell you how many times I've died in the room with the piano. <laughs> what's, what's killing you in the piano? Why, why is music a hard, a hard one for you, Nick? That, that piano room is destroying my agents. <laughs> well, I do like how some of them have flavor like that. Like, I do like how you're like, ah, we meet again, piano room. Yeah, you dirty <laughs> piano room. <laughs> Uh, and, and this obviously, Vic, gave you a lot of freedom to play around with different references. Um, I mean, I know I love seeing stuff from Silent Hill and Phantasm, and uh, uh, it gives you a lot of freedom to play around with, with fun narrative stuff. You, you did a very similar thing with Six Gun Saga, for, for instance. Uh, you must have had a great time with that in Occult Chronicles. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That's the funnest part of designing and, and making these games is I came up with a huge reading list. I even went back and read Turn of the Screw. And, uh, you know, I loved trying to work in different references that weren't, you know, corny or over the head. Some of them probably are borderline. But even, you know, you mentioned Alone in the Dark. I never played that game, but I knew it was one of the seminal you know, horror survival uh, games. And so I went on YouTube and I watched a lot of playthroughs of that game. And um, I, I worked a couple references in uh, to Alone in the Dark. So you, you'll come across those. Uh, Alone in the Dark is a great one to draw from. Like, I still remember... Uh, oh, and actually you do... I can think now you do have stuff like this. I remember Alone in the Dark having a ballroom with dancing ghosts. For Yeah, and that's from Disney's Haunted Mansion, too. That was a big, big reference there. Ah, right, right. Very good. Uh, now, well, let me ask you. Are you much of a horror guy? Like, is this a genre you were into before? <laughs> did, it, did it just lend itself to a roguelike? Uh, well, as far as horror goes... My kids are going, let's go see Cabin in the Woods. And I'm like, I don't think I'm going to go see Cabin in the Woods. I'm too afraid. So uh, <laughs> I can't I, – if they put something on you know, on the TV that's a horror thing, I, I actually get up and, and leave because I, 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 I'm the kind of person 
I, I will try to invest emotionally and mentally, you know, emotionally in the characters. And when they start dropping like flies or bad things happen to them, I get upset. So I, I have developed this ability just to cut it off and, and leave. <laughs> it's too painful. That's kind of the point, though, of uh, drama. Nick, Vic, is that that whole uh, empathizing with, you know, that catharsis of, oh, no, something terrible is happening on the screen. Uh, I guess my life's not so bad. <laughs> yeah, I, I just opt out. <laughs> well, now, for someone who is not into horror, you've obviously seen or you knew enough to take to put a phantasm character in there. Uh, did, when did you see that movie? Because that's I like saw that. I saw that as a kid uh, on HBO, I think, uh, way so so long ago, and that that movie so freaked me out. That and the and the the guy walking down the street in Elm Street with the Freddy Krueger with the long arms scraping the sides. Uh, uh, yeah, <laughs> uh, you and me both. Phantasm was a huge uh, a huge touchstone for for me. Like that's that's probably I, I would say maybe what got me into horror is just being so freaked out by that movie as a kid. Um, I actually once uh, was at a screening of Phantasm at this big public venue, and the director was there introducing it, and I had to walk up and say something to him, because this guy, you know, the movies he's done since Phantasm have not been very good, but the first Phantasm was amazing. So I walked up to him, and there were people standing around saying things to him, and I just wanted to shake his hand and say something, so I'm sitting there thinking, what, what am I going to say to him? What do, I, what do I tell this guy? And it finally became my turn, and I shook his hand and said something like, um, I just want to say you were a, a huge influence on my childhood. And he kind of looked at me with pity and was like, well, that, that wasn't really what I meant to do. This wasn't for kids, but okay. Uh, <laughs> trying to gauge just how twisted you were. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It makes it sound like I was going to turn out as a serial killer or something. <laughs> uh, so um, you have... Uh, a distinction between what you call Reaper mode and Care Bear mode here. Uh, Nick, when you've been playing, have you been doing Reaper mode? You mentioned dialing the difficulty down. Uh, have, and have you played the Care Bear mode at all, where I think you just reset when you die, right? Yeah, I, I have not played the Care Bear mode. It's been Reaper mode all the way. I, I just uh, The only thing I dialed down was that, you know, whether you're a recruit, an agent, or... Well, Vic, then I have an important question. If Nick here is playing on recruit mode, and me, if I'm playing on agent mode, I'm getting higher scores, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. It all scale. I mean, you get definitely get a bonus for the higher you go on the difficulty scale when it goes to calculate your, uh, you know, your endgame score. All right. What do you think of that, Nick? In your face. <laughs> Look. One of these days, I'm going to be standing tall in the piano room, and it's going to be like, F you, chick. Yeah, and you're going to be doing it on recruit mode. <laughs> the uh, the chick parabola is going to kick in, and you're going to end up rocking it pretty soon. And uh, <laughs> then you're going to wonder how, you know, why was, well, you're having such problems. Well, now, uh, you, you talk about, like, the chick parabola, but you're, this is basically, uh, like, so much of how well you you do in the game is is random. I mean, this is, of course... You know, there, there's no AI in the sense of, you know, when I play Armageddon Empires, part of the work you had to do is create this single-player AI. Um, this is basically just about fighting the dice, fighting the draw of the cards. Um, you know, it, it reminds me, uh, Vic, you, you talked to me on email about setting up board games and having no one to play them with. 
yeah. and that was one of the one of the inspirations for Occult Chronicles. Um, so a lot of what you're doing here is you're fighting random numbers. And, you know, Nick's problem with the piano room probably just has to do with him getting bad rolls or bad draws or not having the right skill set when he comes to this encounter. So a lot of this game is luck, right? And that's part of the design. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's, um, you know, it's it's trying the, the, the whole, you know, little shtick that I do. You even you can see it in Armageddon Empires and, and, and Solium and Firm as well. And even, you know, Six Saga is that you get. Your, your whatever uh, <clears throat> your your cards dealt to you or your dice are rolled or whatever you end up with, with, you then have the ability to nudge things here and there by you know identifying patterns or opportunities and this you do with the items in your in your inventory. You know some of them have abilities that let you uh, draw more cards or uh, flip a card over and and have an effect take place. Uh, and that's where um, you can really, you know, uh, use some some of your mental uh, ability to to try to change, you know, the results you got. Now, sometimes you're just going to get dealt the bad hand, mm-hmm. uh, and there's nothing you can do about it. Uh, now, it's it's the margin ones that I really like because you feel like, oh, that was so close. Like I, there's uh, if you have a situation, there's these things called talismans when you you get your result cards that basically show you know whether you got good things or bad things. When you have a talisman on top and you click the card, it negates what is uh, whatever's underneath. And my big thrill was you know the, the the whole idea of you click a card, it's an instant death card. It's got that talisman on it, and you go, wow, I just dodged you know that one. So. Uh, it's great. It's great to, that the game mechanics there are so clear. Like you, you still flip over that minus two sanity, and it's got the little talisman icon on it, and you're you, you clearly indicate that you've you've dodged a bullet there. That the talisman saved you. Uh, I, I just love the little visual feedback you have there. Um, now let, let's talk about that card battle sequence. That the system that you have there. Uh, it's arguably the heart of the game. Um, I know when you did Six Gun Saga. One of your early uh, ideas was to make it a poker game, but the, the the dynamics of poker ended up being a little too complicated for you to program, and that was a whole AI mess. So you backed off and made it something a little different. This feels like closer to that interactive sense of having a poker game uh, that you wanted to do with Six Gun Saga. Um, However, one of the things that uh, I think I see you struggling with in conversations about the game, some people on quarter to three uh, have been giving you a fair bit of feedback, and some of the early comments were, you know, this card game, it's not interactive, it's just a formality, I'm just flipping over cards and whatever happens, happens. Uh, and and I, I've, the more I play it, the more I see that's not the case um, but I think that is a bit of a danger early on is that people don't really appreciate how robust this little card battle can be. And I certainly did, didn't when I first started playing it. Like, I remember what a revelation it was to really start to parse how some of those spells affect the, the cards and the trick-taking and stuff. Um, now, we're still in beta, but I guess one of the things that I would be curious about, and one of the things I would encourage you to do, is do you have any ideas for how to make this more accessible to somebody just sitting down to play it? Like how to express more clearly that, hey, you're not just clicking on cards and randomly flipping them up, but you can interact with this a lot once you get spells, once you start setting up certain edges, uh, and that kind of thing. Yeah, I've been giving some thought to that and, and, and trying to read uh, you know, comments and the feedback, and I've gotten a lot of people just email with, emailed me with really good feedback. It's a difficult situation to be in as a designer because 
the, the one thing I want is I want there to be a sense of progression. Whenever you sit down with any of these games, uh, like, you know, Mansions of Madness or Betrayal House on the Hill, you get a fixed amount of assets to begin with, but they can't be so much that, you know, immediately you're, 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 uh, kicking butt and taking names and just plowing through everything. Um, so that's that's one of the difficulties, and if you don't have those items, that's you know in your inventory to to access them. When you first come to some of the encounters, yeah, you're going to be dealt four cards, and you got three in your hand, and you just you're trying to match them and get the most points. Uh, so I've been toying with the idea of making talismans uh, a, a, a bigger part of the game, not just for the the result phase where all you know you're trying to block bad effects, but I've been thinking about a system where I place them uh, on the ca- some of the cards in your hand, and you can then have the choice of whether you want to activate them with the chance you'll lose it, like ah, it is right now. Right. And they could they could do certain things like bump the card up, maybe change the suit, maybe replace it with a new draw. I mean, so that would add another strategic layer that you would immediately have access to because everybody gets a talisman right away. Right, right. I like that because right now the talismans seem. I don't want to say limited because they're hugely powerful once they come into effect. But right now, it seems like there's this great thing that I have. It's prominently featured right under my character card. Uh, and early on, I was like, oh, that's that's all that that does. Um, <laughs> but it is huge eventually. Like, I do appreciate how, how significantly it comes into play. It's always thrilling to find a new one. Um, but p- part of me, too, uh, Vic, thinks... Uh, like, there's so much interactivity in there already that you can come into from a variety of directions for instance when i first played i was like okay i'm just gonna be uh you know a professor dude and i'm gonna have a couple of spells and i don't really know what these spells do uh whatever i'll just see if i can use them in these encounters i can't i don't know why i'll figure that out later then i played a game as a as a shotgunner it's just a dude with a shotgun is like a a, a, a sort of a melee fighter or just a, a, a combat guy and was amazed at how different it felt uh, and then I went back and played a spellcaster and was like, oh, this is how the spells work. And now I'm going back and trying different types of spellcasters to emphasize different suits. Um, and it feels like there's so much in there that you can experience in these kind of thin vertical slices at a time until you get more powerful. So I like how when I first start a character, I, I really have an entry into the different systems um, that, that just that, that it's sort of like I pick, okay, now I want to figure out how to do spells, now I want to figure out how to do combat, now I want to figure out how to emphasize lore, maybe I'll worry about lockpicking later. Uh, it seems like every time I start a new game, it's, okay, what system do I want to try to start with this time? Um, so I like that there isn't a lot thrown on me at once. Uh, I really do appreciate that part about it. Um, the psychic one's a fun one to try you should do that. I've seen some some save games that I got where uh, I'm uh, I'm just amazed that they've made it down to the dungeon and, and as far <laughs> as they have with with one sword or zero swords because they've gotten a bunch of wounds, but their psychic <laughs> ability is maxed out. They're like walking fire starters, and uh, it, it looks like you can actually finish the game. It is something I never even thought about trying as a strategy. So um, it, it's. It, that that surprised me. That, that's got to be very gratifying when people, uh, I don't want to say break your game, but uh, bend it in unexpected ways. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And it's happened with every game I've made. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, Nick, tell me a bit about some of the character builds you've made. So you continue to, to get killed by pianos. Uh, what what other kinds of characters have you, have you played? 
Well, so when I first started out, I was doing uh, a lot of just hand-to-hand bruiser-type characters. Uh, I, I didn't... I didn't really understand that there was like a big sorcery component or that that could be a part of it. Um, and as an aside, Vic, can I say I love the character screens that you have. I, I love the little folders with the with the uh, oh, like that's my personnel sister. file. Yeah, that's great with the little personnel file. And the, everything's organized like it makes it really adds to that that whole uh the story beat of you know them being the what is it, the ODD investigators or whatever. Yeah, uh, yeah. Very oh, cool. Thank you. Very my, cool. I'll, I will tell my sister. She will be really happy to hear that. She's a uh, my graphic artist, web designer who does all my stuff for me at a quite discounted rate. So, thank now, you. Uh, <laughs> Nick, I want to definitely hear about your characters. Hold that thought real quick, because while you mention this, Vic, I want to ask you about the style of the artwork. You've opted for a more cartoon style kind of like a comic strip rather yeah. than the more earnest stuff like in solium infernum uh, bprd is the influence hellboy what, what is, BPR, uh, hellboy and bprd i don't even know what you're saying i'm guessing it's a comic book thing <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it a comic. yeah it's if you get the odd reference it's you know occult defense directive it's a, it's sort of play off of uh, bureau of paranormal research and defense i think it is yeah which is a comic in the Hellboy universe, and it's about basically this you know group of paranormal investigators who fly all over the world, and uh, and there's a there's a whole story large larger story arc with uh, you know the war against the frogs and everything, but it's a really cool cool book, uh, comic series or graphic gra- the- I'm sorry graphic uh, novel. <laughs> but that's that's the inspiration for the the visual style with the artwork. Yes, absolutely, okay. yeah. Uh, okay, so Nick, I'm sorry I interrupted you. Uh, what what kinds of characters have you been banging around these mansions with? Oh, so uh, started out with a lot of hand to hand bruisers. Uh, figured out on my own that oh, guns are available if I you know choose the right combination. So went to guns, thought that would solve my problem, uh, and of course, no, not at all. <laughs> well, my Gu- with guns are a trap. <laughs> Well, is it because, because my first game with a shotgun, I was like, oh, this is easy. You know, every single encounter, just blast it with a shotgun. I'm like, oh, I'm just going to finish the whole game this way. Shotgun, 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 shotgun. Wait a minute. It takes ammo? (laughs) It was was going really well like that, like basically just shotgunning and shooting everything. Uh, And then I started running into areas where, oh, because I hadn't... And I don't want to drop too many spoilers, but because I hadn't communicated with ghosts instead, right? Uh, I I was missing a lot of stuff, and and then I was running into you know not roadblocks, but definitely the encounters started to get harder and harder, and then they were more concentrating on the sorcery side, and I was like, oh, okay, wait, now I'm boned. <laughs> Now that's you. You mentioned, uh, Vic, that you were a little surprised that certain builds could get very far. Uh, is it intentional that the idea is you need to start out focusing on one system and then diversify? Because it, it seems like my experience with the game so far is that, you know, I, I start out with one thing, but if I don't do that diversification, I'm going to, like Nick said, run into a dead end, basically, where, you know, without pentacles, I'm just not going to make progress anymore. Uh, I presume that's kind of how you intend people to play? Yeah, well, I intended – I this was a real – sorry, I hate to use the word conundrum, but it was a tough thing uh, – you have to have a certain amount of balance. Um, you can't. Uh, it, the way the game is structured, you're going to come into encounters like you know you, you're going to come into encounters like a trap, and that's basically a cups and swords. Um, so you have to have some either some 
basic stat ability there or some item that lets you uh, have a chance of winning those. Um, so my idea was that you know you're an ODD agent, you've gone through the academy, you're going to have a basic competence in certain things. You, you probably need to have a three or a four eventually, and 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 some of the um uh, on, on the in, in the abilities, mm-hmm. uh, I mean the attributes. But then you can decide. Well, yeah, I want to really specialize in the swords and drive that one up to seven, eight, or nine, and and you know be the walking, you know, uh, uh, shotgun uh, machine. Mm-hmm. Uh, so. The, you, you definitely can't sacrifice certain. I, that's why I was surprised that this one uh, save game came in with you know zero in swords and yet still doing very well. There are ways around it. That's probably it's probably a borderline ex- exploit. And I, and, there, and there's a thing with the psychic ability where you get pushback. It's the one. Right. It's the one you know item that doesn't require some type of expend consumable. Uh, so you, what you're doing there is you're pushing your luck. You're supposed to be generating pushback, and that's supposed to be generating negative card effects that are eventually going to make you pay. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm going to have to take a look at that and see if they're making you pay enough. Uh, but All right. Before, hold on. Before you, before you balance that, let me play a psychic for a while. So don't, don't <laughs> fix that just yet. I need to exploit it. No, no problem. <laughs> uh, one of the games that I was reminded of, so, so this whole genre I think of, I don't even know if it's a genre. This this kind of game uh, I like to think of as lunch hour adventures, where you know you've just got a lunch hour. You can sit down and play part of another game, or maybe do a few turns in a big strategy game, or you can sit down and play a self-contained adventure from beginning to end. Oftentimes, the end is death or whatever. Uh, and it reminds me of you know Six Gun Saga is a classic example of that. Uh, there's a little sci-fi game called Strange Adventures in Infinite Space that reminds me of that. Desktop yeah. uh, dungeons. That's exactly. Uh, And and I even remember, uh, do you guys remember something called uh, Indiana Jones Desktop Adventures from LucasArts? Yeah, yeah. Love it. Yeah, it is that kind of thing. And they they were randomly rolled adventures. I think there was even a Yoda one, if I'm not mistaken. But the Indiana Jones one was the one that stood out for me. Um, And currently, my go-to for a lunch hour adventure... um, and, and it's seriously competing with Occult Chronicles, but my go-to is an iPhone port of a Fantasy Flight game called Elder Sign Omens. Oh, yeah and, yeah. and Vic, it reminds me a lot. At first, this was even a reservation I had at first when I started playing Occult Chronicles. My thinking was, well, you know, Vic is making a game that I already have. You know, I'm already playing Elder Sign Omens. It's got this rich artwork. It's very tapped into Cthulhu mythos. Why would I want to play Occult Chronicles? And I was a little concerned at first, Vic, that I wouldn't want to play uh, Occult Chronicles. But I'm delighted at how wrong I am because I want to point out a major difference from Elder Sign Omens when it comes to sitting down for a lunch hour adventure. Uh, Elder Sign Omens is all about dice. It's all about rolling dice. And you come to an encounter and you roll the dice and either fail or you pass. And it's pretty gratifying. You're leveling up characters. You're getting more powerful. There's a kind of a doom clock that you're racing against. Uh, most of the games are set in one mansion, but the map doesn't really matter. Uh, they've added a lot of great DLC with new gods, with new settings, new gameplay mechanics. But the reason now that I really am enjoying Occult Chronicles over Elder Sign Omens is this card game. In Elder Sign Omens, I throw the dice and I'm pretty much done. I've either won or failed. One of the things I really like in Occult Chronicles is these these encounters, 
because of the way you can jigger the card system, because of how interactive it is, because of how it morphs over the, the course of a character going up a power curve, some of the encounters are prolonged. You know, I'm repeatedly trying something. I'm pushing my luck. Uh, furthermore, unlike the binary success or failure of the dice, it matters a lot. And I think this might be lost on some people who are dismissing the card game. It matters a lot the degree to which I succeed or fail. I, I love that. Um, so I love how much more interactivity there is to these encounters beyond simply rolling dice and, and passing or failing. Uh, so, so for me, this, this card thing that you've got going here is just a huge advantage as far as lunch hour adventures go. Um, now, now tell me, Vic, how does the card distribution work? Uh, is my deck being reshuffled every time I have an encounter? Or if that King of Pentacles comes up, am I not going to see him for a few more encounters? What's going on there? Yeah, it's a, it's a simulated tarot deck, and it's every time you start an encounter, uh, uh, every time it, you, it refreshes, uh, the, uh, you get a draw deck, I mean, a, a deck shuffled, and then it draws your cards to your hand and to the board. Uh, and so then once the encounter is over, everything is folded back into the deck? Yeah, exactly. Okay. Uh, uh, you also have because um, I didn't I didn't know that I wasn't sure if like I might want to do a throwaway encounter to try to get some of those like like for instance I love to when you start an encounter sometimes you'll say oh you know I've got the, the the King of Pentacles and here's the Queen of Swords and I've got a Page of Cups and a Queen of Cups <laughs> like you know early on <laughs> excuse me you know early on oh this encounter is going to go great for me. It doesn't always, but you do get a sense with your draw. So that draw then can just as easily be repeated at the very next encounter. Uh, yeah. So I was clear about that, like where the cards went, or was there a persistent discard pile or something? Now, the only thing that where you have a persistent discard pile is there's one tarot card, I mean, Major Arcana, that can right. reset the entire board. And in that case, everything stays as it is. It just keeps drawing from the deck that was already created. I have never found one of those, but I, I look longingly towards that little crystal ball icon at the bottom there, waiting for one to show up for me. <laughs> uh, now, you do have a hidden mechanic with luck. Uh, every now and then I'll get like an ill omen card or what, whatever. The other injuries, they show up there. Uh, luck is completely blind, right? And that's yeah. intentional. It's intentional, and it's sort of funny. It's necessity, too. I didn't add luck till the middle of the game uh, when I actually had coded a lot of th systems um, and I was thinking you know I, I, I'd like I, I always liked the luck thing I remember playing Fallout and uh, I, I'm pretty sure it was Planescape Torment where they had a luck uh, thing that was sort of hidden too I don't think Fallout's is but um, I, I wanted to add that in to, to, to add a little more uh, you know uh, I, one of the things I wanted to add a new card that they could, players could get in the results phase and I thought well you know it wouldn't it be great if you had some card that have picked up and you thought, oh, you know, something ominous is going to happen, your luck has changed bad or good. So that's how that got added. And um, and I'd already made, had my uh, graphic artist, my sister, do the player character uh, display. And trying to rejigger that and fit another attribute on was just <laughs> not something I wanted to spend my time on. So uh, I made it hidden. <laughs> Design. Uh, Nick, what's what's the furthest you've gotten? Have you gotten down in the basement? I actually did fall into the basement once, so I have technically been in the basement. I have fallen into the basement, but I was not prepared at all, and I had not gotten past the second floor when I did it. 
it's sort so of like, yeah, in those cases, it's like, oh, God, get out of the basement quick. Yeah, I, I knew immediately I was screwed. So, but that's, that's what I was hoping for. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> legitimately, though, I have not gotten to the basement. I have not gone up all the way and then gone back down to the basement. Uh, my So, Nick, you've died by piano several times. My uh, most ignoble death, uh, and I didn't see this coming, and it's a little unfair, but I went insane from searching a bookshelf. I, I failed the, the bookshelf search, and I was like, okay, big deal. It's a bookshelf. You know, what's the worst that can happen? I lost five points of sanity from Ooh. a freaking bookshelf. <laughs> it was really oh, painful. Wow. <laughs> uh, so uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring up something that I'm sure you're sick of hearing, but you're going to need to keep hearing it over and over, Vic. Uh, okay. When are you going to start working on uh, the iOS when can I play this on my iPad? Oh, Tom. <laughs> uh, you know, I, 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 here's something funny. The only mobile game I've ever played in my entire life is actually Elder Sign Omens. Um, <laughs> I played it on my Kindle. Actually, my wife's Kindle, because I've got the old black and white Kindle still. But uh, I played it this uh, this last January. Uh, and um, so I actually designed the game and everything before I'd even seen, seen the Elder Sign Omens. You know, so for so any similarities there are, uh, are coincidental, but um, uh, yeah, I, I I just I I don't know. I'm not a big mobile gamer. I, I do you really think people would want to touch their screen and play this? I mean, and you could fit all that information in. And, yes. Yeah, yeah I, I do. I, yeah. It's, and it's not. It's just because uh, a couple of things, Vic. There, there's a thriving, and I hesitate to use this word because it's one of those like businessy buzzwords, but I don't know any other way to put it. There's th- such a thriving ecosystem for this kind of game in terms of demand from gamers, in terms of marketplace opportunity for you to, to sort of make money and reach new people. Uh, uh, yeah, I absolutely think when I play this on my PC, I, I feel like I really I, I want this on my iPad. Uh, and I don't think there's a PC gamer who has... Got, well, you know, maybe there's some people without iPads, but but I just think there are a lot of opportunities there for you. Uh, I, I think it would absolutely thrive uh, on the See, it, wor- it worries me, though, because I've heard lots of developers say, yeah, they made an app, and, and, and it, it, the, the price was $0.99, cents and it never right. got on the top ten, and, and they right. basically lost their investment. And the um, situation there, Vic, is I think a lot of developers don't have your – like I, I, when you first made Armageddon Empires, I'm not sure I would have pushed as hard for you. But I think folks know your games now, and you would get enough buzz, and people would talk about it. Um, assuming you did a port that wasn't just absolutely terrible, you know, getting someone else to do it or whatever, uh, I, I just think you have enough of a reputation that you would have a leg up over the kind of people who put up an app and, and it doesn't move. Um, so, and again, it's a, it's largely just for selfish reasons. Is I want to be able to lie in bed and play this at night on my iPad. Uh, <laughs> and another thing too, and I I don't want to push this too far because I know what a chore it would be. Uh, Solium Infernum, for instance, uh, the kind of gameplay Solium Infernum you can play single player, and I know you've struggled with the AI, but Solium Infernum thrives as a multiplayer game. That kind of asynchronous play. I think so many people do that on an iPad now. There, there's so much, you know, the, the way that uh, so many board game ports encourage that asynchronous multiplayer environment. Uh, I just think there's, there would be a lot of people who would love to play Solium Infernum on the iPad. Um, so I, I just think there are great opportunities. I think your games would be an amazing fit. And I would love to see you find someone to port Occult Chronicles uh, at some point for, for the iPad. So, yeah, there you go. That, that's my two cents. 
Well, that's good to hear. I, like I said, I've always had doubts, and uh, been, for me, the two things I got limited time to really work on things, so I would have to get somebody to who, who right. knows us to do this. And uh, so, yeah, uh, and and the big thing was is the risk. I, you know, I, I like I said, I've, I've heard from a lot of people who've it, they had high hopes and uh, thought they were going to hit a, uh, the gold vein, and it was really disappointing. So, yeah. right, right. Uh, tell me about your. So it's in beta. Uh, it's it's on sale. Like, what where, what are the current plans for Occult Chronicles? What is its immediate uh, future? Well, I, I'm gonna I've got uh, fix some bugs, uh, get it. You know, I think it's really pretty stable. There are some uh, sp- spots still where you know some of the data needs to be changed because uh, it gives an error or and like the rope uh, wasn't working, but I got that fixed. The yeah, there's a grappling hook you can use for pit climbing and stuff, and that wasn't working properly. Um, but uh, yeah, so fix the bugs. Uh, try to improve the the um, the early gameplay so that it's a little more interactive and 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 players feel have a little more feel like they have some more agency. Mm-hmm. And yeah, uh, uh, you know, improve the UI as best I can. That's always you know that's always my hard part. I I am you know, uh, and nor do I claim to be anywhere near a good UI designer. I. I um, I have these little tropes that I use that I think are, you know, they're probably <laughs> aggravating for a lot of people. <laughs> but, uh, you know, that's, that's just the way it goes. So uh, when, when, whenever I run into a little UI thing, Vic, uh, I'm, I'm just as likely to blame, uh, what's the macromedia thing you use? Like, don't you use oh, some? Oh, yeah, director, yeah. Right, right. I'm just, I tend to either think, <laughs> yeah, I'm just as likely to blame director as I uh, am you. Uh, <laughs> you, should probably bl- you should probably blame me. Although I, I have to learn a new technology uh, at some point. You know, I just turned 40. Uh, so I'll put that out on the table. And that, that adage about old dogs and new tricks has never been more clear to me uh, now. Uh, so <laughs> the thought of learning a new language and, and being a code guru again uh, is, is painful. Because uh, I have all these little things that I can do now and just whip up a, you know, a dialogue box or something like that. But to have to relearn something. Uh. Well, Vic, that's why you hire some hungry young uh, wunder kid. Uh, whippersnapper who uh, can do all that stuff for you while you just sit back and do the game design. Right? <laughs> I, I wish it worked like that. <laughs> uh, so it, it is in beta. Uh, it's, I believe, is it is it nine ninety nine right now while it's in beta? It's a fourteen ninety nine. Yeah. Okay. And then once it comes out of beta, does that price go up, or is that the, the current price point for the foreseeable future, or do you even know? You know, I don't know. I was originally okay. going to do it at nineteen ninety nine, and uh, you know, you you know the whole pricing problem with indies nowadays. I mean, sure. you, it's tough. So, well, and that's uh, another thing. That's another pitfall too about being on the iOS uh, is that yeah, I, I don't, I, I don't think you can unless you're two K doing their XCOM thing. I don't yeah. think you get away with selling something for more than ten bucks. Uh, and even if you were to put it at four ninety nine, you would get people complaining that it's not ninety nine cents. So yeah. That is a whole other can of worms. Yeah. Um, uh, when it comes out of beta, uh, will I keep my high score list? Oh yeah, absolutely. All that'll stay. Uh, yeah. Good. When it comes okay. out of beta, I'll basically uh, you'll get a new data get game data file and two new files, uh, and or you could just redown the whole download it again and get the whole thing and not have to bother with that. You know so. And where do folks go to find Occult Chronicles? Is it uh, is it just crypticcomet.com? Exactly. It's my, my website, um, and it's uh, crypticcomet.com. Boy, I wish I'd ch- chosen a more easily pronounceable name all those years ago, but uh, that's that. Well, I, I can't say, I, I can't say Vic, at least there are no Ks in there. 
It's no, not there's like a, there's a silent K there, actually. <laughs> Wait, what? Nah, I'm just oh. teasing. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, the old David Letterman shtick. <laughs> and I'm sure it Googles well, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. uh, all right, so uh, Occult Chronicles currently in beta, but there's no reason to hold out for the, the final build. Uh, it's certainly stable, and you will keep your agent's high scores, and, and what better way to learn it than before it's officially released. So uh, grab Occult Chronicles. Um, and now let's talk some games of the week, gentlemen. So, uh, Nick, real quick before games of the week, uh, tell us briefly what happened with the the Xbox One today. Wow, yeah, there was a there was a little development on the Xbox One, wasn't there? I'll say, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so people are calling it the uh, Xbox One Eighty now. Um, that that seems to be the name that has caught on with the news that was just announced, uh, really a couple hours ago. So to to give you a little. Uh, background. Uh, early this morning, there were some rumors that were going around. They started hitting uh, the Twitter, and uh, comments were going back and forth that things were happening at Microsoft and that something big was coming for Xbox. Um, and early on, a, a lot of it was dismissed. It was just kind of, yeah, whatever. Everything, you know, everything a console maker announces for their console is big news, right? Like, oh, you have a new controller or. You know, you've got some. You, you're having a sale that's 10% off, or you're offering a, a free game, or whatever. Whatever. Uh, as the day uh, went along, it, it became apparent that this was going to be something a little bigger. And then um, finally, it 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 splashed, and officially, uh, uh, Xbox updated their website, took it down for a little while, put it back up, and when it was back up, they have a new a uh, policy page which explains that basically everything they said about the Xbox One regarding the DRM and the online verification and the used game controversy was uh, being backpedaled. So they're, they're taking away the 24-hour verification requirement. Uh, you can play single-player games offline disc-based games will be yours to do what you will. Uh, and basically, everything that everybody was complaining about, uh, with the exception of Connect and probably the $100 difference uh, from the PS4, uh, has been taken away. Yeah. Uh, I remember when all the, the speculation was coming out about, oh, it's going to be always online and whatnot, uh, thinking, well, there's no way Microsoft is actually going to announce that. You know, this is just... Maybe they're, they're floating trial balloons. This is not something they can do. And then even when they announced what they were going to be doing, I was like, "That's they're not really going to stick to that, are they? And they announced it at E3, and they went through it, and I was like, oh, I, I guess they are. Uh, and now they're back to where I thought they would be before just this, this horribly damaging, uh, discursive public message fumbling. Uh, so for me, they're kind of back to square one. Uh, I, they're where they should have been several months ago, I think. Uh, yeah, they're they're basically back to the policy that they have now, which is, right. you know, your disc-based games, uh, you can sell them, trade them, lend them, give them away, whatever you want to do with them. Uh, and then, you know, anything that requires online because of multiplayer or whatever, well, you know, that requires online. So there you go. <laughs> uh, and, and it's just funny, yeah, the, the whole E3... I mean, it was really a debacle for them. They, they, 
everything they tried to talk about just became this, you know, huge monster for them where they just couldn't even they couldn't talk about Titanfall, they couldn't talk about uh, you know, I- I- any of their the Spark, I think, was their their exclusive Connect game. There was a few other games that they that they you know talked about that were exclusive, and they had the third party ones that everybody's getting. But they they couldn't get any message out there other than you know, oh God, please, you know, <laughs> don't don't get hung up on the whole online thing. We're totally awesome. The the power of the cloud. Yay us. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they they literally would have done better to just not show up or say anything at E3. I mean, if they, if they had just skipped all of that, it literally would have helped them more, uh, I think. So and to give you... Rosanna, Rosanna, Dana, and just said, never mind? Oh, yeah. you know, I was going to say, yeah, I was going to say they Emily latella it, but I thought that would be too obscure. So, yeah, very good thing, yeah. Uh, and to give you some indication of... Ha- Wait, who's Emily Latella? I'm screwing up my reference. Who uh, did Gilda Radner? So um, uh, Roseanne Rosanna Dana was the Nevermind chick, right? Yeah. Gilda Radner. Who's Emily Latella? Where did I get that from? Oh. If you're listening, Google it for us. <laughs> so you and your obscure references. So obscure, but, you don't even remember it. That, that's why I didn't make it until, until Vic brought that up. Uh, to give you some indication, too, of uh, of how Microsoft is completely 180, uh, I've personally been uh, I've been persona non grata with them, I guess, since the Halo review. I haven't gotten a press release, not so much as a single E3 invite. They have not returned my phone calls. Uh, it's just I don't I no longer exist to them. I finally talked to somebody who I've worked with for a while, and he said, "Well, there's not enough traffic at your site," which is completely not true because our site gets more traffic than it does when we were working with them. So for whatever reason, they just don't work with me anymore. Today, in my inbox, I got a press release from Microsoft announcing these things. They finally thought, "Well, here's something that even Tom Chick needs to know." Uh, <laughs> And, and they Not sent even Tom Chick can be mean about this. Right, right. <laughs> so they, they sent me that press release. Um, so it's actually good news, though. I mean, I, I sort of feel like, you know, I was glad for Sony pulling ahead, but I sort of feel like uh, there's there's some parity here. Competition is healthy, and this, by the way, is an example of competition being healthy. And I like seeing that the competition will, will continue, uh, that they're more on equal footing with uh, the next generation of console systems. So. Uh, all right, so uh, that's some big news. Uh, but now, Nick, what do you have as your pick for Game of the Week for us? Uh, my Game of the Week is uh, actually another lunchtime game. Um, I have been playing Door Kickers. What? Yep. That's not I've a game playing. name. What, what kind of game is called Door Kickers? Yeah, I, I got to say, it's probably a bad name. <laughs> so Door Kickers is a... A little 2D top-down. Um, if you can imagine the planning stages from the SWAT games or the early, uh, you know, Rainbow Six games, that planning kind of map stage, mm-hmm. it's that. But that's the whole game. So I'm reminded immediately. Like it sounds like Frozen Synapse. Is it a lot like Frozen Synapse? Uh, they've gotten comparisons to Frozen Synapse, but it, I. Th- when you start playing the game, it's actually pretty different. Um, there's a lot more. Uh, it, it's it's a lot more real time management of what's going on as you plan things out. I, I know that sounds weird, but 
Well, it does because the the planning phase, of course, in the Rainbow Six was always you know you sit there, you have you just you set up a plan, and then you you hit go, and everything unfolds and either falls apart or it comes together. Uh, right. Is it a bit more staccato in Door Kickers? Like, do you do you make a plan and then run it a little bit and then revise the plan and then run it a little bit and revise the plan, or do you set it all up and then just see how it turns out? Uh, it is, it's a weird combination of both. You, you, you do have the, uh, you plan a little chunk out, you let your guys do it, see what happens, and then you can plan out your next move, you start letting it go, and then if things start turning bad on you in the middle of a play, you can stop it, and then, you know, try to change what you told them to do. Mm -hmm. You say try to change, is there any limit on this? Uh, so far, they say that they are going to work in like morale and you, you know different uh, statistics for your your little guys, your little breachers, I guess. Um, but right now, the main thing is that the bad guys uh, they come across as seeming very intelligent as far as you know cornering you up and flanking you. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's and if you play through levels, uh, because there's there's about forty or so levels that come with it right now. Um, but again, it's just an alpha, and they they've said that they're adding a lot more. Uh, you you'll find that the levels play out very differently, uh, even if you try to do the same things uh, with the same people. Uh, what's the sort of milieu for it? Is this sci-fi? Is it modern tactical warfare thing? Is it a police deal? Uh, no, it's a it's modern tactical. Um, it's mostly I, I I think it's mostly trying to model just SWAT. So you've got like hostage situations and okay, uh, you know, killing terrorists or whatever tangos. Uh, what is the overall uh, structure of it? Is it is it just you pick a scenario, you play it? Do you unlock scenarios? Is there any sort of character progression or loot? Uh, right now in the alpha stage, there is, you pick a scenario and you play it. Uh, the scenarios have pre-generated, uh, you know, your little SWAT guys and they have pre-generated tangos hidden on the map. Um, but they have said that they are working on, uh, some kind of, uh, if not a, a campaign, at least kind of a, you know, a webbed mechanism for getting all these missions together. Okay. Uh, and is is this an iPad game? Did you say that, or did I just make that up? I think you made that up. So it's a PC game. <laughs> it is a PC game. When can I play this on my iPad? Uh, <laughs> you know, I, in bed. <laughs> I know in their forums, there have been there have been people in, uh, and this is by Kill House Games, by the way. Oh, well, no uh, wonder it's called Door Kickers. It's yeah. the name they're going to pick for their company. I'm not surprised they're calling their game Door Kickers. Okay. That's the name <laughs> they, I should have uh, chosen. <laughs> they, they have a forum, and I know people have been asking about uh, an iOS version, but they I, I, I haven't seen that they're making one. Uh, okay. I don't know. It's, it's like three guys out of Romania that worked on this thing. Uh, will I be able to play against like you or McMaster or Vic, uh, or is it strictly against an AI, or do we know? Uh, multiplayer, they said, may be implemented, but it would be co-op. Oh, I'm okay with that. All right. Um, all right, so uh, Door Kickers, uh, and where do we get that? We go to killhousegames.com probably, or you could probably just Google it, I'm sure. Door Kickers, how common can that be? Yeah, yeah no. <laughs> right. 
Uh, all right, door kickers. Vic, uh, what do you have to follow up on that? What is your pick for game of the week? Uh, my pick is Drox Operative by uh, Soldak, Stephen Peeler. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, so, Vic, Vic, real quick, what's a worse name, Drox Operative or Door Kickers? Uh, actually, lesser light drops operative. <laughs> well, considering some of uh, some of uh, Stephen Peeler's other game names, Drox Operative is not nearly as bad. Like, what is it? Uh, uh, Kiwi's Underworld and oh god, Kiwi's Underworld. That was yeah. Uh, Depths of Peril, of course. I always screwed that one up. But what's the one I really like? Um, Dead Gummit with the dungeons. That they, they were the things come out of the dungeon, and the dungeons all have all the activity. Uh, oh, Din's Sin? Curse. Din's Curse. Din's Curse. Right. Exactly, yeah. Uh, so yeah, Drox Operative is is among uh, some of his better names, so th- that's a good point there. All right, so tell us a bit about Drox Operative and what makes it your game of the week. Oh, well, I just, I enjoy playing it. I um, It's a, basically, I guess you could call it sort of a roguelike. It's a exploration game. You, you, the character is your spaceship. It's like you're playing in this, it's, and it's sort of like a, a strategy, 4X strategy game too, except instead of being the all-knowing emperor mastermind, you're just this one agent um, uh, who who can fly around anywhere they want and interact with the different factions and aliens and, uh, you know, you get technology and uh, components for your spaceship, you level up, and, and I, I like the I like the blowing parts, things up parts best, but uh, it's just very re- soothing and relaxing for me. Uh, it's sort of like, you know, Puzzle Quest did for me, except in a different, more action-y way. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I love the strategy with drop, you can drop these mines, and uh, you can do patterns with them and blow things up, and, and I just enjoy the ex- free-form exploration. They uh, certainly the the combat model is as far as like creating instead of a character a spaceship and you can swap out the different components and you can emphasize you know shields or armor and the different systems like you mentioned the mines uh, or do you want to go with missiles or energy weapons uh, it's a really clever alternative to building a character in an action RPG uh, I really did appreciate that part of it yeah. And there's different, you know, synergies you get with different components and weapons and, you know, uh, and, and things you have to sort of experiment with, too. Like, you know, uh, the ECM at first, they, these little ECM components or electro- ECCM, too, electronic countermeasures. But um, they would drop, and I'd go, oh, I don't want those. or take up a spot. And then I started, you know, <laughs> experimenting with it. I'm like, wow, this is pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. uh, there's also a lot of uh, various – because I love this concept as well – uh, because the idea is you're a neutral agent, uh, the galaxy just spawns, and it plays like Din's Curse in that you load a galaxy, and you're going to finish that galaxy. You're going to complete it, and then you're going to load a harder level galaxy, and it's it's the consistency throughout that is you're bringing your spaceship, your quote-unquote character, through as you level up. Uh, but when you start a galaxy, it's basically... Just beginning. You know, there's different factions, and they feel different ways about each other, and one faction will get more powerful, and it'll declare war on this faction, and so then a third faction will ally with the other faction, and then it's these two fighting against this one guy, and you decide who you're going to help. Oh, but then you discover a fourth faction, and what's he going to do? And maybe now you want to do missions to keep this faction from dying out. Um, I, I like the dynamism of the galaxy as, as it progresses. I like that a lot in there. It just feels very alive. 
Yeah, I like the fact that there's some alien races that I just don't like the cut of their jib. And <laughs> you are racist. You playing Drox operative are no, racist. No. Well, I, I'm alienist, I guess. But they're, they're, some of them are just jerks too. Right. And so I, I really try to. I, you know, one time I, I decided I, this was it. I was going to, you know, genocide. I was going to exterminate them. Boy, did I hit a bee's nest. <laughs> I wish, wishing I hadn't done that, but. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it is good. Yeah, I like what he did with the moment-to-moment gameplay of just flying the ship around and, and the combat and whatnot. Um, yeah, Stephen Peeler, too, his company is uh, Soldak Entertainment, S-O-L-D-A-K. Uh, he, he does a great job with post-release support. Uh, and I oh, haven't yeah. looked at Drox Operative probably in, I don't know, five, six months. Uh, but you can guarantee that if you revisit one of his games there will be new gameplay systems, or he'll have a cool new add-on. Um, so I'm really excited to see where he goes with Drox Operative in, in the coming months. Um, is yeah. there? Do you know? Do you know, Vic? Is there any DLC for Drox Operative yet? Like, has he sold I, any kind of an add-on? I don't believe yet. I, I, I just just the last week there was a uh, there was an update. Um, so it, you know, it's uh, I, but I haven't seen any announcements yet. Right. All right. All right, so uh, Drox Operative. Uh, all right, you guys ready for this? My game of the week is actually an old game, almost as old as Drox Operative. Uh, it's a game that I've played before. I actually reviewed it and wasn't real happy with it. I kind of enjoyed some of what it did. But my criticism of this game uh, was that it only has one and a half verbs. And to explain that, basically what I meant was there are two kinds of things you could do in this game, one of which was pretty cool, the other of which seemed underdeveloped, and that's pretty much all you ever do. So one verb in this game is shooting, and the one-half verb is driving. So having said that, can either of you guess what the game is? This might be too obscure. Grand Theft Auto. <laughs> Grand Theft Auto also has uh, killing hookers. That's a third verb. So. Uh, Nick, any guesses? Uh, you know, not Carmageddon. Uh, Interstate 76? No, it's not that old. Holy cats. No. <laughs> Man, I can't imagine that holds up. No, this game, that's what I was thinking. Yeah. That's... No, this game is only about a, a year old. Yeah, and by the way, you goofballs, there's no shooting in Carmageddon. What's the matter with you two? Don't you shoot other cars? No, you bang into them. There's no guns in Carmageddon, are there? Oh, maybe I'm thinking the wrong... Or maybe it was set Interstate 7. What was the one where you could mount the miniguns on them and... That's definitely Interstate 76 and I-80, and uh, that had mountable guns. But I'm pretty sure in Carmageddon, you just have to bang into stuff. There would be power ray, like the electro-bastard power ray. There ah, would be power-ups. Yeah, they had power-ups. Yeah, I don't think there were guns. Now, this is a more recent game. It's actually also arguably an MMO, but it has no subscription fee. You just buy the game once at you know $60 or whatever. You install it. You're always playing online with a bazillion other people, but you never have to pay a subscription fee. Um, so I went back and revisited it. Here's another thing. This this will pr- presumably give it away. It's a tie-in for a TV show. Night Rider. <laughs> I would love that. A Night Rider oh, wow. game. <laughs> One half driving verb and a lot of shooting. No, the TV show is on the Sci-Fi Channel. It's called Defiance. Oh, uh, Defiance. I, ah. And I... I don't blame you for not knowing the TV show because it's awful. The, the pilot that I saw, I haven't stuck with it. Um, but so, so Tryon is the developer. They did a game called Rift, which I really liked. And they had this deal with the Sci-Fi Channel where the Sci-Fi Channel is going to debut the TV show, Defiance, which 
It's terrible, but whatever. And then the Tryon will release the game, uh, and they'll have cross-promotional stuff where you know there will be new missions featuring events from the TV show, and there's the likeness of, of one of the characters in the – actually, a couple of the characters in the TV show will sometimes help you on a mission in the game. Um, and there are even – they recently did something where the TV show references a plague, and the TV show takes place in St. Louis. The game takes place in the Bay Area. So in the TV show, they mentioned something about a plague in the Bay Area. So in the game, Defiance, there have been all these plague-based missions. Um, so they're trying to do that kind of thing, and whatever. I don't really care that much about the backstory. It's basically just a good, solid shooter that you're playing with a whole bunch of folks. But So I went back and revisited it. It came out several months ago. Uh, and was delighted to discover that some of my complaints with the game have basically been uh, removed. Not because I said them, I'm sure other people complained, but some of the things that caused me to not really like the game so much were gone. Uh, among them, there's this idea that when you get a, a gun and you customize it, it's like loot in any uh, MMO or action RPG, and you customize it and you get attached to it, and as you're using that particular type of gun, it raises your skill level. Um, and as your skill level hits certain thresholds, you get new bonuses, like you'll reload faster, or your range is increased, or you do more damage. But they did a weird thing to encourage loot churn, you know, to where you, you, you always want new guns, where you would max out a gun's capacity to improve your skill. So let's say I'm wanting to be a good light machine gunner, and I'm wanting my skill to go up, and I get a really cool gun, and I invest a lot of resources adding attachments to it and a scope and a bigger magazine and all that stuff, and I get synergies going with it. After I've used this badass light machine gun for a while, it will fill up its XP bar, and now every time I use it, I'm no longer advancing my light machine gun skill. And I feel that's a terrible thing to do in an MMO is to create this dead end like that. So they have lifted that, and you can now completely erase the experience point progress for a gun. Basically, it's a money sink. You spend money to reset the gun so it still adds to your skill. Um, so that's for transaction. No, no. You can buy costumes and stuff, but so far they've been really good about not nickel and diming you for money. It very much feels like a retail package. You buy it once, and you have access to everything. Um, and the thing, too, about buying costumes... Uh, another thing that I really like, and it was very helpful to revisit it, is instead of going up levels, they have that, but instead your progress is marked by what's called an ego rating, and I don't know what that stands for, but it's a number that goes up to the thousands easily, um, and it's more like a gamer score based on your achievements. So when I jumped in recently to play, I could look at a long list of achievements and decide which ones I wanted to do to raise my, my level or my ego score. And at the end of some of these achievements, most of which are chains, you can unlock new costumes or new vehicles. So I can look through this list and think, wow, that outfit looks really cool. That's what I want. That will then guide my gameplay. I now know that I need to do these quests and find these collectibles in this area. Um, or, for instance, one of the things I was looking at, I needed to go kill uh, raiders at radio towers. And that just meant that I looked at the map, and they didn't used to have these labels on the map. These are new as well. I needed to find, okay, there's a radio tower, there's one, there's one. I'm going to drive over to this one. Nope, there's no raiders here. It's just a bunch of mutant bugs. I'm going to drive over to that one. Ah, raiders. So I kill these raiders. Some of them drop these things I need to collect. It says something like, collect 20 beacons from raiders at a radio tower. So I kill these guys. I get these beacons. I get... You know, I get a little progress. So it's basically kind of a, like, do whatever activity you want to advance your character. You know, pick the kinds of things you want to do. 
Um, so for me, jumping into it after being gone for so long, it wasn't like, oh, God, what quest was I doing? What is this storyline? I don't care. It was basically me looking at a long list of things and thinking, okay, those activities look cool. I'm going to do these. Um, and it was really welcoming because a lot of times you come – I've tried to get into Guild Wars 2 again after being away for six months many times, and it's really difficult. It's like, oh, what are these skills? I mean it's easier than most MMOs, but it's still difficult. Defiance, you just jump in and you're shooting stuff, and you just use this achievement list to decide where you want to go and what kinds of things you want to shoot. Um, and it's very welcoming. Another problem I had with the game is they would have these public events, and Tryon did this in Rift, where a rift would open, and everybody would run to it. You could see it on the big map, and it would be a big, crazy, huge battle, and armies would spawn, and it would be insane and really gratifying, and it would, it would unite you. You would be doing these big, this public group mission. So the equivalent of that in Defiance was a rock, literally like a meteorite falls out of the sky, and you have to fight back these monsters that spawn near the meteorite, and you have to shoot the meteorite itself, and then you finished. So, it's basically, it's literally like 50 people standing there, running around, jumping, just shooting a rock, and then everyone <laughs> did it. And it just looked absurd and ridiculous, and then the rock blows up, and it's gone, and everybody gets in their car and drives off, and it was, and you're just moving around to these points on the map to shoot at a rock. Um, and it was just a terrible way to, to get people to, to the same activity. So one of the things that I was delighted to find are instead of these, these rocks are called arc falls. And I don't know why, but that's what it's called in the TV show. At an arc fall, you go and you shoot at a rock. One of the new things they added based on this new plague uh, backstory is are these siege missions where – and it's public. Again, there's a big map on the icon. There's a big icon on the map. Everybody runs to this siege. And once you get there, rather than everybody focusing on the same thing, there are various points around the siege that are being simultaneously attacked. So the players break up into smaller gatherings, and they hold off attackers. Rather than all shooting at some rock, there's attackers moving in. It's like horde mode. Um, and it's horde mode with different points in these cool locations they've built on this big public map. And furthermore, you can see at the top of the screen how each point is faring. So if one of them is getting overrun, it'll flash red, and you know, okay, those guys need help over there, so I have to work my way around this giant refinery to go see how they're doing. Oh, but you know, some people have to stay and defend. So it was a way to bring everyone to the same area, but rather than have them all point and shoot at the same rock, there was a, a division of activities, um, which I really liked. Unfortunately, that just ended, uh, this whole plague storyline uh, ended, I think, yesterday, and now this awesome siege mode is freaking gone. They took it out of the game, and the <laughs> game is now back to everybody shooting at stupid rocks. So uh, I don't know what's going on with that, but... I was delighted to jump back in. I really like some of the changes they've made. I don't know why they would take that cool mode out. Um, they also, one of their gimmicks is that for a two-week period, they held a contest where the person who collected the most salvage, and that's one of their, their resources, it's basically a, a form of money, the most salvage from these arc falls, these little rock shooting events, the person who collected the most salvage, and this game isn't split up into servers, it's everybody in one world, that person would then have his name and likeness appear in the season finale of the TV show. Oh, wow. <laughs> so I was fully expecting that, you know, we would, we would discover that, 
you know, like uh, XXX Killbot XXX. It <laughs> would be like the winner. Or, you know, uh, uh, Japtastic Sniper 420. You know, you would get something like that, or now this guy is going to be on the show. Uh, I don't know how they engineered this, but they actually released his real name rather than his in-game name. And the, the guy whose name and likeness will now appear in the Season 1 finale... I don't know if they got lucky or if they cheated and picked the guy with the coolest name, but the crossover from the game defiance to the show defiance, his name, you guys ready for this? It's cool. And you know what? I'm going to use this name for my next character in Occult Chronicles. The guy's name, Zachary Prast, P-R-A-S-T. <laughs> like, wow. They got That's lucky. awesome. That's totally awesome. It sounds like something that they would have already made up. I love that name. Uh, Nick Fury. Right, exactly, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Wolf <Fitzer>. <laughs> <laughs> Right. <laughs> so Zach, Zachary Prast will be appearing in Defiance. He was the guy who got the most uh, the most Matrix, or the most salvage Matrix from the Ark Falls. Uh, they also, by the way, do these um, Path of Exile, which is an action RPG, has these community uh, events where they'll like have a contest, like see how high a level you can get a character, a hardcore character, in one hour, and then depending on how you do, you're given a an in-game reward, like an inventory item that's unique. Um, so I noticed that Defiance is doing stuff like this, and they call it a challenge hour, where you play, and uh, you know the winners get certain rewards. The reward they most commonly give out for these challenge hours, a free copy of the game. Nice. (laughs) (laughs) That's helpful. Yeah, right. (laughs) Kind of already have this. I guess I'll give it to a friend. Uh, (laughs) You don't think these rocks falling are from chemical toilets and airplanes going overhead, do you? I like the sound of that blue ice, I believe is what... (laughs) Uh, you know, Vic, if I were to pay more attention to the backstory, I think it's something to do with, like, alien ships. Like, here's actually what I think it is from, from trying to pay attention during the, the pilot. Uh, alien ships came to Earth, and they attacked it, and I think other aliens got involved, and they helped fend them off or whatever. But there's a great war, and it ruined Earth, and now there's aliens running all over the place on they Earth. stole that from my game, Armageddon Empires. <laughs> oh, that's... That's right. There are various invaders. However, this is not this alien. Uh, this devastated Earth looks remarkably like Vancouver, oh. <laughs> because I think that's where they shoot. You know, where they shot Battlestar Galactica. So it's like, uh, <laughs> not very much of a wasteland. There, there no. are, wasn't that devastating. Um, I won't call my lawyer. <laughs> Even though everything's uh, destroyed, uh, the the other thing that's cool is they still have a uh, product placement. So. <laughs> Are you serious? <laughs> defiance? Yeah, they they have a they have like a whole deal. I know they had a whole deal with the, I guess the the one of the big uh, characters on the show had a particular brand of car that they had you know retrofitted all Mad Max style or whatever. Oh, you're absolutely but then, right. Yeah, that brand of car you could get in the game as well. <laughs> No, it's Dodge. They clearly is it, is that Chrysler. They clearly have branded cars in the game. I forgot about yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh. Uh, Glad it wasn't a hemorrhoid cream. Yeah, exactly. They would have a hard time folding that into the plot line. <laughs> you could do way where you know Pizza Hut. What are you going to do? There's uh, they're, uh, they're but, aliens. Maybe they eat it. Maybe it's like the sour milk in uh, you know Alien Nation. Oh, <laughs> good pull. Very good pull. Uh, 
Well, but anyway, so these 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 comets that fall down, I believe, are pieces of the ships that are still in orbit after the battle. And the idea is you want to get technology from them, I think. Um, so that actually kind of makes sense. And I'm putting sense in quote marks here. <laughs> so. Uh, all right, so uh, uh, are either of you guys, by the way, playing Marvel Heroes? Is it just me that's kind of uh, really that gaga for that game? Board game? No, no. Do you have you played that one though? That's I think it's called Legendary Marvel. Yeah, that's it. I just looked at looked at it online. I've, I've been tempted to get that because I have another one, the DC themed one, which is a lot like the card game Ascension, uh, and it plays really fast. I like that one a lot, but I've been looking at the Marvel one and tempted to get it. Uh, so, are you gonna are you gonna are you gonna take the uh, hit for that one, Vic, and let me know if it's any good? Oh, I can. Come on, it's only forty dollars, sixty dollars. You're rolling in that, that great. You know, and I, I'm terrible at the deck building games too. Ugh. Well, my problem with with the Marvel one is I think it's one where you're supposed to sit down. You're supposed to have sat down beforehand and built your own deck, and then you come to it with a deck that you've made, like Netrunner, for instance. Uh, the DC Comics one, everybody's just drawn from the same pile, and it's one of those games like Dominion where you're building a deck on the fly. Uh, ah. So I think that's much more accessible to just casually playing with your buddies, whereas if you get the Marvel one and you don't have other people who play, you're going to have to build decks for them, and they're, they're not going to be as invested in it. So that's one of the drawbacks for me. Yeah. But no, Marvel Heroes is a free-to-play action RPG, um, which has all these Marvel-licensed characters. Um, oh, I saw it on your news on 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 Q23. You had a little thing about it there. Yeah, I really like that. I just um, I, I just got uh, like my first. You, you normally have to buy the characters. Uh, you get one for free when you start the storyline. You get a second free one when you finish the storyline. You get a third free one. They tend to all suck, but. The idea is, but they're really teasing you with, they're saying, hey, you know what, if you play, characters actually drop. You know, these things you normally have to pay 6, 12, 20 bucks for, they can drop. You know, it's like a legendary artifact in Diablo. You might get one if you're just playing on your own. And I finally got my first one uh, just last night. And it was the character that I already had. (laughs) (laughs) But that's okay, because actually if you get a token for a character you already have... It's the only way to upgrade this one super ability you get, so it wasn't like it was uh, wasted. Um, but yeah, so that was going to be my other pick for game of the week, but I already picked it. So yeah, Instead, that's you were saying that's the game that gets it, and you were listing all the different loot drop uh, games. Well, just yeah, as far as all the uh, just the the moment to moment hack and slash, that sort of glee of just you know, it's like Diablo was always so I could never in Diablo pass up a barrel. Especially if you're like in a ranged attack, that's just shooting barrel. There's just something about even if you don't, and then of course you're going to pick up whatever it drops. But just the the just the graphics and the sound and just the visual of that little barrel breaking. Uh, any game that can make you just want to shoot and break stuff, uh, uh, tap into the glee of that. It's like you know, it's almost like popping the little bubbles in, in bubble wrap. You know, you just love doing that. There's just some little feedback from your kid brain that wants to keep doing that. And uh, Diablo and Marvel Heroes both got that for me. Yeah, I, I loved running around with the wizard shooting the death the death beam all over the place. Right, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> there's one thing better than destroying a barrel, a wooden cask with an arrow. It's destroying a wooden cask with a, a huge, powerful death beam. It's also <laughs> going to destroy every other wooden cask in the room. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So. 
All right, so those are our games of the week. Uh, I would have picked Occult Chronicles, but uh, you can't pick the game that's the topic, so unfortunately, uh, that was not my game of the week this week. Uh, but I encourage folks to pick it up. Uh, go to crypticcomet.com. That's spelled without any Ks. Uh, okay. And while you're at it, there's some other great games over there. Uh, I recently did a, a, a list of games that you should play rather than the ones that everybody's talking about at E3. And uh, Armageddon Empires is on there because me and a buddy were recently talking about that. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I need to totally reinstall and play that. Um, that holds up. I'm a big fan of that. So go to Cryptic Comic. Comet, pick up some games, specifically uh, uh, Cult Chronicles. Uh, and Vic, thanks for coming on to talk to us about that today. Oh, thanks, Tom and Nick. It's been a great pleasure to do it, and thanks for having me on. Yeah, thank you. Uh, and everyone, we will see you uh, next week with uh, more Games of the Week, uh, and we will talk to everyone then. So a quick shout out. This music here. Uh, <laughs> I'll tell you the name of the type, the track, and you guys tell me what game it's from. Ready? All right. The track is called Zombie Trucker. Guess the game. <laughs> Left for Dead, Dead Island. Keep going. You're close. Too obvious. Uh. uh... Oh, or but please I be real. Red, red, Borderlands Two? No. Oh, you know it does sound Borderlands Two, doesn't it? That's actually a great guess, Vic. I'm giving you half credit. My my son <laughs> loves that game. I, I've watched him play that game so much, it's uh, it's not even funny. That's a lovable game. Yeah. Uh, Zombie Trucker is there's a fellow named uh, Jasper Kid K Y D. I think he's Danish. Uh, and he's done some video game music. I think he's mostly known for the uh, Dark Darksiders games. Uh, and he did the score for a zombie game I love called State of Decay. Oh, yeah, uh, you mentioned that. Yeah. yeah. So this is Zombie Trucker from State of Decay. <laughs>